We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. go episode 717 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Monday December 11th 2023 two weeks away are we from Christmas are you aware of that uh it turns out that Santa Claus gave us as Commanders fans some early Christmas presents during the team's bye week uh, Thursday night the New England Patriots won. Then on Sunday afternoon, the Chicago Bears and New York Jets won. Uh, now, we on Sunday did not get every result that we wanted in terms of helping the Commanders climb the 2024 <laughs> NFL Draft, but they are entering the final four weeks of the 2023 NFL regular season with the number four overall pick in the 2024 Draft. Uh, four and nine Commanders at the six and seven Los Angeles Rams this Sunday afternoon at 4.05. Uh, the Rams on Sunday afternoon, a 37-31 overtime loss at the Baltimore Ravens. Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford, he completed just 23 of his 41 pass attempts, but he threw for 294 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. You think about what he could do against the commander's secondary and what will hopefully be a commander's loss at the Rams this Sunday. And uh, don't forget <laughs> who the Rams backup quarterback is former Commanders quarterback Carson Wentz. Might there be a Commander Carson sighting this coming Sunday? Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, next segment, a great guest, Commanders analyst and former Redskins tight end Logan Paulson. Prepare yourself for a masterclass in Commander's analysis. But what we're going to do is spin things forward. We're not going to harp so much on that which has gone wrong, uh, as we are going to examine what the thinking of whoever is running Commander's football operations beyond this season should be. You will hear Logan answer whether the talent 
on the commander's roster is significantly better than the team's 4-9 and nine record for this regular season suggests. Uh, you will hear Logan make sense of the seasons that interior defensive linemen Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne are having. You will hear Logan get into whether safety Cameron Curl is worthy of a big money contract. You will hear Logan answer whether right now he'd lean toward moving forward with Sam Howell as the team's QB1. You will hear Logan address receivers Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dodson, both grading poorly in the separation metrics for this season. You will hear Logan explain why he would be open to Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn as the commander's next head coach. Quite a showing by Dan Quinn's defense in the Sunday nighter. A uh, very resounding victory for the Cowboys, 33-13 over the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, All of that and more with Logan Paulson next segment. Uh, Also on the show, the Capitals. I will properly salute the Caps for their oh-so-nice weekend. Saturday night, a 4-0 win over the Metropolitan Division leading New York Rangers at Capital One Arena. And then Sunday night, a 4-2 win at the Chicago Blackhawks. I will react to Navy football concluding a 5-7 season with a 17-11 loss to Army at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts on Saturday. And I will pose a question that at first may sound ridiculous, but when you hear what he had to say, Maybe not so much. Is it at all possible that New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick might at some point be Navy's head coach? Yeah, I said it. We've heard Belichick's name come up regarding being the commander's next head coach, although I've been told that that's fake news. But what about Navy. Uh, I have a wizard segment for you of yet another blowout loss for our tanking wizards, a 124-97 loss at the Brooklyn Nets on Friday night. And I'll get into some college basketball of Georgetown's 80-68 loss to Syracuse at Capital One Arena on Saturday. Number 18, James Madison's 84-69 win at Old Dominion on Saturday night. And Virginia Tech's 71-50 route of Valparaiso at Castle Coliseum in Black. Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. Uh, before we get to some feedback, rest in peace, Frank Wycheck. Uh, he died on Saturday. Uh, Frank Wycheck was just 52 years old. His family in a statement said that he apparently fell inside his Chattanooga, Tennessee home and hit his head. Uh, he was found unresponsive later in the day. Uh, just terrible. Frank Wycheck, uh, best known as a tight end for the Houston Oilers slash Tennessee Titans for the 1995 through 2003 seasons. Uh, he served as a color analyst for Titans radio broadcasts and was a sports talk radio host in Tennessee. But Frank Wycheck has deep ties to the Washington, D.C. area. He was drafted by the Redskins. So he played for them for two seasons, the 1993 and 1994 seasons. The Skins took him in the sixth round of the 1993 NFL Draft out of Maryland. Uh, Frank Wycheck has the most career receptions by a tight end in Terrapins history. Uh, He played for the Terps for the 1990 through 1992 seasons. And of course, Frank Wycheck is perhaps best known nationally for his role in one of the greatest plays in sports history, the Music City Miracle. January 8th, 2000, a 22-16 Titans win 
over the Buffalo Bills in the wildcard round of the playoffs. Uh, Titans receiver Kevin Dyson, a 75-yard kickoff return for a touchdown with three seconds left in the fourth quarter off a lateral from Wycheck, who may well have been guilty of throwing a forward pass, but uh, that was not what was called. But the radio call of this play is one of the great adrenaline-inducing calls that you'll ever hear. Mike Keith and Pat Ryan on the Titans radio network. Here you go. Do the Titans have a miracle left in them in what has been a magical season to this point? If they do, they need it now. Christie kicks it high and short. Going to be fielded by Lorenzo Neal at the 25. Yeah, Pitches it, it back to Wycheck. He throws it across the field to Dyson. He's got something. 30, He's 40, got something. 50, He's got it. 40, He's got 20, it. 20, 10, He's got 5, it. End zone. Touchdown, Titans. There are no flags on the field. It's a miracle. Tennessee has pulled a miracle. Yes, it had. Uh, What a play. And later on that day of January 8th, 2000, was the lone Washington playoff win in FedEx Field history. A 27-13 Skins win over the Detroit Lions. You know, looking back, what was more of a miracle on that day? The Music City miracle or Washington actually winning a home playoff game? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Dr. CCB on the difference between a good player and a great player. Writes the doctor, as you know, my husband is a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan, just like Mrs. Galdi. T.J. Watt now has 91 and a half career regular season sacks. This got me to thinking about the players who we have slash had on this team. I wasn't sure if Watt was considered a defensive end or linebacker, but Google says that he is an outside linebacker. I understand that it's probably comparing apples to oranges given the positions, but Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, and Chase Young have a combined 120 and a half career sacks. Whereas T.J. Watt is one man, but he has 76% or more than three-fourths of the number of sacks that Alan Payne, Sweat, and Young have combined. Again, I understand that all things are not equal or factored in like injuries, missed games, and supporting cast, but I found these statistics to be absolutely mind-blowing. Anyway, have a great Monday and talk to you soon. Thank you for the email. Dr. CCB. Yeah, T.J. Watt is what is called an edge defender, uh, which encompasses both defensive ends and 4-3 base defenses and outside linebackers and 3-4 base defenses, even though the base defense for every NFL team now is nickel. Uh, Montez Sweat and Chase Young are edge defenders. John Allen and Deron Payne are interior defensive linemen, which is the label for defensive tackles and 4-3 base defenses and all defensive linemen in 3-4 base defenses. Although, again, the base defense for every NFL team now is nickel. We shouldn't compare T.J. Watt's sack numbers with those of John and Deron, but there is a larger point here that absolutely is valid. T.J. Watt is an A-plus player. 
Montez Sweat and Chase Young are B-plus players, and even that may be generous. Uh, Sacks are not everything for edge defenders, but in this case, sacks do tell an accurate story. Chase Young and Montez Sweat were drafted to be A-plus players. Each guy at times was an A-plus player for Washington, but neither guy was a season-in, season-out A-plus player for Washington. T.J. Watt is an A-plus player. Ain't no doubt about it, A-plus player. And a big problem for the Commanders is that they have few, if any, A-plus players. Email from Joe on Commanders Fandom writes, Joe, hello, Al. Although I'm not a fan of this team anymore, I still enjoy your pod at the gym, my friend. I've tried to listen to other podcasts, but they fill time with fluff Keep up the excellent work. I was blessed to have gotten this team out of my system when I moved to Virginia in the summer of 2020. I got to attend many home games in 2021 when the team was the Washington football team, and I no longer have that bucket list item hanging over my head. The name change to Commander's was what finally made it so easy to move on. And I know that you are very tired of the name topic. I am back in Texas where I belong. I do not follow football anymore. I do hope that this team turns it around for those loyal fans who still claim this team. I am not a fan, and I will not be back to being a fan even if the name is restored. I am not giving this money grab NFL a chance to reach into my wallet again. No more $600 tickets caused by paying third-party StubHub fees. No more $100 parking passes. No more $14 beers. No more paying $550 for the Sunday ticket. All of my Redskins slash WFT stuff is in a large, heavy box. I do not plan to ever open that box, and I am ready to part with it for good. I'll keep up the excellent work, my friend. Wow. Uh, Thank you for that, Joe. You know, one of the more fascinating aspects of the erosion of the fan base of the team, now known as the Commanders, is how there are different types of erosions. We have some people who still are fans of the team, but their fandom is a lot less today as compared to years ago. We have some people who are fans of the team, but don't spend a single penny on the team. So these are people who follow the team and watch the games, but don't buy tickets to games and don't buy team merchandise. We have some people who no longer root for the team, certainly don't spend any money on the team, but do still follow the team. And then we have some people who truly are out. They no longer root for the team or spend money on the team or even follow the team. Uh, Joe would seem to fall into that third or fourth category. I don't blame anyone for what has happened with uh, his or her fandom of the team. Uh, So much has happened with the team to where I'm not at all a fan of passing judgment on another fan. Uh, We have been through a lot (laughs) as a fan base, and uh, what we have been through as a fan base impacts people differently. Now, personally, I'm still a hardcore fan. I always will be a hardcore fan, but I in no way look down on someone whose fandom has lessened or on someone who is no longer a fan. Now, the wild card in all of this is the following. To what extent would the team becoming truly good again bring back fans? If the team over a condensed period of time became a perennial playoff team and made multiple NFC championship games and won a Super Bowl or two, to what extent would that reinvigorate fans whose fandoms have lessened? To what extent would that bring back former fans? It's impossible to answer 
those questions. And the questions are moot if the team continues to be no better than mediocre. But I do believe that the team becoming really good would bring back a lot of fans. In addition, of course, to creating new fans, uh, there are some former fans who are gone for good, no doubt. But I do think that there are former fans who think that they're gone for good, but would be brought back by a run of great success. Uh, There may be nothing in this country more popular than the NFL. If the NFL team for which former fans rooted for years, in large part because of its glory days, got back to having a glory days-like period, you're telling me that all of these former fans would remain former fans? That all of these people would resist the temptation, the allure, the seduction of the team? being great again. No way. (laughs) No way. Former fans would be back to being fans. Not all of them, okay? But at least some of them, maybe even most of them. But our friend Joe may well be among those who truly are gone for good. The number one challenge for the Josh Harris group in owning the Commanders isn't a new stadium or a new team facility or a new name or reaching out to the community or any of those things. Now, all of those things matter. But the number one challenge for the Josh Harris group in owning the Commanders is making the team great again. Building a football operations unit that excels, that has the team as a perennial playoff team and as a Super Bowl contender. Nothing that the Josh Harris group does matters more than this. And nothing matters more to the great law firm of Paulson and Nace than its clients. Uh, Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. And your and your family's greatest time of need, Paulson and Nace is there for you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202 202- 902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Ace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. In fact, Paulson and Ace was just named as part of U.S. News and World Report's Best Law Firms 2024 edition. Uh, and Chris Nace and Matt Nace specifically are dedicated and decorated trial attorneys. Uh, Chris Nace in May was named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year, this by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Chris in July was elected as the parliamentarian of the American Association for Justice, and both Chris and Matt Nace in August were recognized by Best Lawyers in America for 2024. Why the accolades? Well, Paulson and Nace fights for you. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. This is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202 202- 902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact 
Paulson and Nace. Hey, thank you to all of you who have given this podcast a five-star rating and who have written nice reviews of the podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. It could be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. Uh, so the Commanders bye week is over. Uh, they have four games left in this 2023 NFL regular season at the Los Angeles Rams this Sunday afternoon at 4.05 at the New York Jets, Christmas Eve afternoon at 1, home to the San Francisco 49ers, New Year's Eve afternoon at 1, and home to the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday, January 7th. Uh, And we know that the second (laughs) that that game against the Cowboys ends, it is on Uh, It being the massive change that everyone on the planet is expecting for Commander's football operations. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Commander's analyst and former Redskins tight end, Logan Paulson. Uh, He does a lot of great work for the Commanders on their website and on their YouTube channel. Uh, He also is the co-host of the Take Command podcast. You can follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. Hey, Logan, how are you? I'm good, man. You know, just kind of getting ready for this holiday season and, you know, talking a lot of Commanders football at the moment. So. Yeah, I wish we were talking about a playoff race, but uh, that uh, unfortunately <laughs> is uh, <laughs> it's not exactly where we are at. But there is a lot to get into. Uh, I really don't want to lament everything that has gone wrong for the Commanders. I more so want your insight on what the thinking should be moving forward. Uh, so whoever is running the team's football operations beyond this season is going to have to determine the quality of the roster, right? And what changes need to be made? Do you think that a proper assessment of the roster is that it is appreciably better than the 4-9 record for this regular season indicates, or that the roster isn't nearly as good as a lot of us thought it was? Well, I think it's probably, like with all things, a little bit of both. And what I mean by that is I do think you have the guys on the field the past couple of weeks, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, haven't been put in the best positions to be successful. Like, you know, Ron, this uh, before the Miami game, was talking extensively about how he needed to simplify the game plan and all these different things. And I did think that, for the most part, obviously there was a couple explosive plays in there, but, you know, based on how the defense had been playing prior to that, when you watch every single play, there was an improvement. And so I do think maybe kind of over the last four weeks here, if, um, you know, Ron continues to simplify, the guys continue to play confident, I think we'll be able to get a better understanding of kind of where these guys are at. Because, you know, prior to this, I think everyone said, oh, everyone's terrible, we got to cut everybody. But I do think there were flashes in the Miami game. The linebackers from some of the secondary guys, when they're on the same page, when they know what they're doing, where they look like a good group. And I think on the offensive side of the ball, it's, it's kind of the same thing at the moment. So I do think the roster is better. They haven't played that way. But I think if, if the coaches over the last four weeks of the season could put these guys in a better position to be successful and really just let them play fast and play confident, I think I think the roster is in an okay spot. I'm not saying it doesn't need adjustments or improvements or additions, but I think the foundational pieces of the roster are still probably pretty good. It's just about kind of this offseason with free agency and the draft kind of saying, where do we, where are we weak and how do we maximize what we have? So I think that's kind of my thought on it. You, after the Commander's 45-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving, said something on your podcast 
that stuck with me. Uh, and that was that the Cowboys defense is a great example of a defense in which the pass rush and pass coverage are in sync or in alignment. Uh, that pretty clearly has not been the case with the commander's defense this season. We so often hear about pass rush and pass coverage needing to be in sync. What exactly does that mean? Yeah. So I think, you know, obviously, um, the, the secondary for Washington has been getting flamed a lot, you know, pretty much this entire season. Everyone's like, Oh, they're terrible. We got to cut everybody. We got to move on. We got to draft three quarters. We got to bring in, uh, you know, a free agent safety, <clears throat> excuse me, all those different things. But I think when you watch Dallas's defense, like one of the things that that secondary is allowed to do, and when you watch Miami's defense, it's a very similar proposition as well. Um, what they do is they understand in their coverage that I only have to cover for two and a half seconds. I don't have to cover for three and a half seconds. And as a result, they take gambles. They flood zones differently. Like in the Miami game, there was a beautiful example. They're running quarters. And Washington's running basically like a CO concept, so like a corner and an out to the offensive left and a dig on the backside. And they, what they do, they do a good job because it's Vic Fangio. They, play, they, they match concepts. They match the CO really well. And Sam, instead of being able to get to the dig, which is wide open, is is basically sacked. He has to throw the ball away. Now, look at flip that and look at Miami. We basically ran the same coverage in the red zone, the commanders. It's quarters coverage. They basically ran the same concept. It's a little different. I'd call it like a flood concept with like a flat and an out. But we flood the zone. We match it really well. Tua has to pull the ball down. And instead of getting a sack or instead of getting flushed from the pocket, he just resets his feet, throws the backside dig, which is wide open. And everyone says, oh, Benjamin said the juice is wrong. But I look at Miami and the way they run their quarters, and it's exactly the same way that we run our quarters. They were able to maximize that repetition of uh, of their offense versus quarters coverage because the pass rush didn't get home and get the sack, right? It's the same thing when you look at Deron Bland, for example. When you watch his pick sixes and how prolific he's been this year, he's taking chances basically saying, I'm going to undercut this out because I know there's no feasible way we can run it out and up. And I think that's that's the beauty of when the rush and the coverage are in concert is when you insulate the coverage because you don't allow the offense to reset. You don't allow the offense to get deep into the progression and it lets you do some different things, um, you know, from a pass coverage standpoint that allow you to be a little bit more aggressive. With the commander's defense with Jack Del Rio as defensive coordinator having been too complicated, too busy, uh, at least according to the team, what for you is the right balance for a defense being intricate enough to throw offenses off, but not being too complex to where the defense itself is thrown off? Yeah, so I think for me, the thing is you have to have answers. And I think when people hear about complexity in defense, I think it's really nebulous because offensively, complexity is very straightforward. The call is very complicated. There's a lot of call volume. But I think with defense, it's a little bit different. So like, let's just take like a simple defense, like cover three. That cover three, I have to adjust to multiple different offensive formations. And I need to make sure I have answers to multiple different offensive, offensive formations. So the complexity for me, at least in my understanding of defense, comes from what are those checks and are those, or not even checks, but what are our solutions versus three by one as opposed to a two by two? What's our solution versus two tight ends as opposed to uh, 11 personnel? And I think those those things, those kind of layered solutions can get really, really complicated very, very quickly if you don't have your defense really um, consistently ruled out. And um, and what I mean by that is like just making sure the rules are consistent or as consistent as they can be across some of these different uh, variations. And I think, um, so to me, as long as you have answers and as long as the guys understand and are confident in what they're doing, um, I think that's about as complicated as I want to get with the defense. Now, the thing that gets 
interesting about defense is I've got, I have all these adjustments and checks in cover three, but I also have those same adjustments and checks in cover two and cover four and cover six. And so if I have a lot of called volume in, I basically uh, dilute the likelihood, in my opinion, that the defense will understand kind of the checks in specific coverages versus specific offensive looks. So I think all Ron's done basically is said, like, we're going to own, you know, cover three, and we're going to own some of these zone pressures, and we're going to get really, really good at them the last four weeks of the season, let you guys play really fast. And I think when you look at, um, you know, Miami, for example, because that's the most recent film I watched, or even when you look at Dallas, they those guys know exactly what to do versus specific in specific coverage looks. There's no hesitation. There's no air. There's no grass in the coverage. There's no space because they trust and they believe in what they're doing, and they're, they're very confident in, in the adjustments they need to make on a per-coverage basis. The commander's top two interior defensive linemen, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, neither has been as productive this season as he was last season. Now, as we know, production stats like sacks uh, for defensive linemen, not always indicative of how well defensive linemen are doing. What is the Logan Paulson diagnosis of what is happening with John and Duran this season? Well, I think early on there was, uh, you know, like with, with John, for example, I think Chase was here. And I think Chase was doing some some very good things in terms of kind of being big, strong, and fast, and very physical as a pass rusher. But uh, he was kind of rushing as an individual. And I think, you know, when John Allen's at his best, is he, he is confident that he can be the guy, right? And so I don't think they had really formulated a good pass rushing relationship, um, you know, even through uh, week six or whenever uh, Chase was traded. So I think since Chase has left... Um, you know, obviously working with Casey Tuhill, Casey uh, Tuhill is going to kind of play second fiddle to John. He's going to defer to John. And I think you've seen a more confident John Allen the last couple of weeks. And with, with Duran, I think Duran has been largely the same guy. And I know people don't want to hear that necessarily. But when you look at his pressure rates over the last four years, they've been almost exactly the same. And last year when he had 11 sacks, it was the same pressure rate as the year before. Just the statistical variation of pressure rate and and led to more sacks for him last year. He was able to capitalize on those pressures at a different rate. And I think this year he's rushing about the same. And so this is like, to me, this is who he is as a player. We're just not getting the statistical production from him that we did last year. So I think I think both those guys, like John, probably had a little bit more adversity when it comes to rushing the passer earlier in the year and is seeming to find his feet a little bit. But I think this is kind of who Duran is. He's an explosive player. He's a better run player than a true pass rusher. Still a good football player, but understand who he is and understand, um, um, like, kind of set your expectations accordingly. Something else for whoever is running Commander's football operations beyond this season is determining what to do with safety Cameron Curl, who is set to be an unrestricted free agent this coming offseason. Should he be franchise tagged? Should he be re-signed to a big money multi-year contract? Is he not worthy of a big money multi-year contract? Where are you on Cam Curl? Yeah, I mean, I think Cameron Curl is a guy that I really enjoy watching. I think he's a good football player. I think... um, I think the thing, if I was going to kind of point something out about this game, is that, you know, he kind of wants to be paid as a top 10, top 5 safety in the NFL, or I don't even know if that's true, but I think there's a, there's a perception in this market that that's who he is. And for me, like, while I think he's an excellent football player, he's excellent in the locker room, like, he doesn't 
make explosive splash plays that are game-changing type plays. And you can argue that he's not put in position to make those plays all the time because of his role in the box and because of his role in the post or whatever it is. And I think there's a valid argument there. But I think he's a good football player that um, that doesn't that doesn't move into that top 10, top 5 category for me because he doesn't make a ton of explosive plays. And again, I think Cam Curl is phenomenal. But it's like his role in the defense this year has been all over the place. It's been varied. He's had to play in the post. He's had to play in the box um, because of injuries and because, uh, you know, the defense is trying to find its identity. And I think he does a really good job with that stuff. But I think, I think again, the one criticism I'd, I'd levy is that I'd like to see him make more game-changing, explosive plays. And, you know, he hasn't done that throughout his career. So maybe that expectation is a little bit unrealistic. And I should just appreciate Cam for who he is as a player. Much more with Logan Paulson in moments. I'm going to next ask him about Commander's quarterback, Sam Howell. Uh, if we exit this season with Sam having played well enough to earn being the team's QB1 moving forward, the season is a success regardless of anything else. I really do believe that. Uh, and that happening would be worthy of a party, a big time party. And if you are planning a big party or any big event, such as a holiday party or a wedding, you got to go with Catering by Uptown. Catering by Uptown is the DMV's number one catering service. Catering by Uptown is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations. And Catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu, to picking linens, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. Whether you are having a wedding or a corporate event, an intimate gathering, or a gala, Catering by Uptown is the way to go. Visit cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. And say hello to Ray and Michael Pereira. They and the rest of the Catering by Uptown family want to wish you and your family a happy holiday season and a healthy and prosperous new year. The Pereiras are great and knowledgeable Commanders fans and will do a tremendous job for you. Visit cateringbyuptown.com. That's cateringbyuptown.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. More now with Commanders analyst Logan Paulson. Uh, how Sam Howell performs over the Commanders' final four games this regular season certainly will have a major impact on whether whoever is running the team's football operations beyond this season moves forward with Sam as the team's QB1. That said, right now, do you have a lean on whether you would endorse Sam as the team's QB1 moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Sam has done some really good things this year, obviously. I think he's made some explosive plays with his arm. I think you see kind of that that new requirement for the quarterback position where he's got to be mobile and, and make plays with his legs, all those types of things. Um, I do think over the last couple of weeks as the defense have gotten, has gotten better, he's looked a little bit more like a guy in his second year. And so for me, I would just like to see him bounce back from these these kind of these tough games for him. And again, the tough game against Miami, uh, you know, we talked about this on our podcast, Craig and I, you know, it's not all on him. The offensive line struggled, the receivers struggled. Um, the, there were times where the play calling wasn't maximized, all those different things. So 
I think, you know, can we kind of find an offensive identity coming out of the bye week and let Sam kind of find his feet and execute really well to kind of flush out this evaluation? Because to me right now, he kind of, he feels like Jalen Hurts from like two years ago or three years ago, a guy that is shown some competitive moxie, but still there's some holes and deficiencies in his game that make you um, kind of, that, that, that leave questions, let's just say that. And again, I think Sam's done a great job, and I, and I would feel pretty confident in building around him, but I would like just one or two more, you know, kind of dynamic games from him where he looks like, where, where he kind of puts a definitive stamp on this and says, you know what, I am capable of playing excellent football against good defenses, um, and I, I, I deserve that opportunity to be the guy moving forward because I think he's done a lot of good things, and like I said, I, I think I feel pretty comfortable in building around him. Like, you know, we've got a lot of... Um, you know, because he's on his rookie deal, uh, and I'm I'm banking on his his development. I think all those things are possible, so I, I would feel pretty comfortable. But again, I would really like one or two more like kind of definitive statement games, saying, "Hey, you know, this is a good defense. I'm playing well, and this is why I should be the starting quarterback for next year." Would be great to see that the Commanders' assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, a man who you know well. Uh, He was UCLA's running backs coach for the 2003 through 2005 seasons, also was the program's recruiting coordinator in 2005. You played for UCLA for the 2005 through 2009 seasons. Uh, From a play calling standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, is there anything that you'd like to see different from Eric regarding Sam Howell over the Commander's final four games this regular season? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's been the criticism that he's thrown the ball a lot, and I think that there is a probably a justified criticism there, but also to my mind, like the offense in large part this year outside the last couple games has been very successful throwing the ball a ton and kind of putting the ball in Sam's hands. So as much as people want to be critical, I think there's been um, a relative, a relatively positive success rate with what they've been doing offensively. So I, I think for me, because you know I'm from the Kyle Shanahan offense, like I want to see them run the ball a little bit more effectively. I want to see a little bit more play action. I want to see a little bit more game-planned touches for him as opposed to just running kind of drop-back and quick game concepts, like alleviate some of the pressure on him. But when I watch the film, I'm like, man, there are opportunities here. If, if, the, if the protection holds up, if the concepts distribute a little bit better, which to me is a receiver thing, like the receivers are in better spots and better relationship to the quarterback. Like there's opportunities here. So as, as much as I want to see something different, I like that comes from, from my own bias here. So um, I think I would like, I, I think just fundamentally, I would like to see if I had, if I had it my way, if I was gone plays, I'd like to see a couple more just game plan opportunities where we put, we've made it easy for him to find the open guy and make the throw as opposed to sitting back in a, in a five-step drop and making him read it out and asking him to do some pretty high-level stuff, um, you know, 75% of the time in the game plan. Eric Bieniemy, having called so many passing plays this season, to me has expedited the development of Sam Howell. Do you see things that way? You know, I kind of think so. I think when, you get, when you're out there and you have the opportunity to throw the ball and see defenses the way he's had, I think it I think it emphatically elevates Sam, and it gives him opportunities to to be better. I mean, he's faced a lot of adversity this season. Sam has, you know, had some rough games, bounced, always bounced back pretty well. Um, and I think you don't get those back bounce back opportunities. You don't get to grow as a player if you're not throwing the ball a ton. So I think that's something that really sticks out to me. Is like, yeah, I think this is. I don't know if it's intentional, but I think it's probably smart if you want to develop a young quarterback. Let him throw the ball, and you got to kind of live with the good and the bad. Uh, of that philosophy. 
Commander's receivers, uh, as with John Allen and Deron Payne, we're all trying to figure out what exactly the truth is here. Uh, Neither Terry McLaurin nor Jahan Dodson is having the kind of season that we wanted. Uh, The separation metrics for this season are not kind uh, to Terry and Jahan. What are you seeing from Terry and Jahan this season in terms of getting open? Yeah, I mean, I think I talked about this the other day, and I, you know, again, like I don't want to make any declarative statements because I'd like to talk to them about this. I'd like to talk to the coaching staff about this a little bit more. But what I would say is just like to my eye, you know, I think there are times where they're still they're still detailing the offense in their own minds, like still detailing how best to run routes. Like there's times where you know the, the splits don't seem quite right, or the the urgency to get to a space doesn't seem quite right, and that comes with coaching. That comes with time. And then also sometimes I feel like they're running the route the way it's drawn on the paper, which is something that happens oftentimes in new offenses, right? Like when is when are my opportunities to kind of add a little seasoning, throw that double stick in there, work that different stem, burst in a different way. And so I think there's a little bit of that, at least when I watch it, I'm kind of like, oh, they're still kind of feeling out where they can find these opportunities. At least that's what it looks like to me. And, uh, and again, trying to kind of Develop, still develop a true mastery of the offense. So I would say that's probably one of the reasons why. You know, Terry, I'm um, talking about uh, Duran being a very specific type of player. Terry's never been great in those advanced separation metrics in his whole career. Like, he's a guy, he's a contested catch receiver with an, with explosive big playability. And I think, like, that's fine. Like, he's a good, he, like, if, if you acknowledge that's what he is, that's a really good football player in the NFL. I, I think that sometimes when you're dealing with a young quarterback uh, in his second year, really his rookie year, understanding what NFL open is can be a little bit challenging, I think. So, um, you know, developing that chemistry with Terry and understanding that even though Terry looks like the, the, the defender's in a close relationship to Terry, that's what Terry's excellent at. And I can still throw this ball. I think it's also probably playing a factor. And then, um, you know, to, to me, I think there are times where I think you could, maybe potentially move Terry around the formation or Jahan around the formation and make them the number one uh, option on the play as opposed to asking Sam to read through the progression and get to them. And, and I understand EB's thought process there. That's not a criticism of EB because there are times where if Sam can get from his first read to a second read, it's advantageous to Terry or Jahan because they are wide open. It's just understanding that you have a young player and he's going to have a hard time doing that sometimes. So maybe maximizing those opportunities for those guys is something that could also be beneficial. But I think it's a kind of a combination of all those things that lead to, um, you know, limited production so far for them this season. Maybe the most important thing to be done by whoever is running commander's football operations beyond this season is hiring a head coach. Uh, The undeniable trend in the NFL for years now has been to hire uh, a head coach who is a younger guy with primarily an offensive background. Should whoever is running commander's football operations beyond this season almost be biased against a head coaching candidate who isn't a younger guy with primarily an offensive background? Or should there be more of an openness to a defensive-minded head coach? I mean, obviously, it depends on the guy. Like, you know, I, I played with Dan Quinn in Atlanta, and I think Dan Quinn is a guy that I would definitely look at for an interview for because I think he's a brilliant dude. I think he's an excellent defensive coach. I think he does an excellent job relating to players, and I think he understands the importance of offensive football in 2023, 2024. And so obviously there, even with that answer, like if I'm hiring a defensive coach, I want them to be a guy who who sees how important that offensive coaching hire is going to be. So I do think there is, and there should be a bias towards the offensive side of the football, because when you look at this, I think 
this is an offensive driven league. Like if you don't score 28 to 30 points a game, you're not, you're going to have a hard time winning football. And I know defenses at least statistically this year are playing better. They're kind of striking back is the big headline, but I think that's more due to like poor quarterback play. And that's, I don't think that's going to be tenable, <clears throat> excuse me, long-term. So definitely I'm looking at all the young offensive coordinators, uh, you know, Frank, uh, Frank Stevens down in um, Miami, the offensive coordinator there, uh, the offensive coordinator in Detroit, I think he's done an excellent job. So definitely, and anybody from the Kyle Shanahan tree seems to just be able to turn whatever they, whatever team they go to into gold. So I'm definitely kicking the tires on all those opportunities because I do think it is an offensive-driven league, and um, and those guys uh, seem to be able to kind of impact the growth of a team more dramatically than defensive coaches. But I, I do think you get the right defensive guy in there who, who's forward-thinking analytically driven, understands the importance of offense, that can also be a fantastic hire. Well, if it somehow winds up <laughs> that the commanders hire Houston Texans offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick as head coach, that would be the perfect ending to the storyline of all, <laughs> all, all, all the 2013 Redskins assistants who became head coaches. Finally, Logan, we get one of those guys here. That would be something. That would be something. That would be crazy because I remember Bobby. You know, Bobby was like twenty one, twenty two when he was here, when I was here with him, and just to see this this growth and see him be like potentially head head coaching candidate is is absolutely mind blowing. So good for him. Congratulations to Bobby. Yeah, it is remarkable, man. I mean, Bobby Slowick with the Skins was a defensive assistant, not an offensive assistant, but even he now is this bright offensive mind. It turns out that every young assistant coach on the 2013 Skins was Bill Walsh. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) Logan, I appreciate your time very much. Thank you, and have a great week. Thanks, man. All right, Logan Paulson, he is tremendous at talking commanders from an X's and O's perspective, just like Nova Fireplace and Stove is tremendous with what it does. Uh, If you are in need of fireplace, stove, or chimney work, and you live in Northern Virginia, get with Nova Fireplace and Stove. Nova Fireplace and Stove is outstanding. It handles gas fireplace sales service and installation, handles gas, electric, and wood stoves, and handles chimney cleaning and repair. If you live in Northern Virginia, stay warm and upgrade the feel and value of your home with Nova Fireplace and Stove. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $1,000 off select in-stock gas inserts and $1,000 off select in-stock wood inserts. Offer good while supplies last, but this is a tremendous deal. Nova Fireplace and Stove, it has been around for more than 20 years. It is run by big commanders fans, my guys Daniel and Stewart, and it has outstanding professionals. Uh, whatever the work that you need done requires, Nova Fireplace and Stove has. Master Gas Fitter, master electrician, class A contractor, licensed chimney inspector. And because of this, Nova Fireplace and Stove can complete your project without the need for any subcontractors. And Nova Fireplace and Stove can pull all of the necessary county permits for the work that is being done. Additionally, Nova Fireplace and Stove can perform fireplace and chimney safety inspections. See for yourself the work that Nova Fireplace and Stove can do. It is a showroom in Woodbridge, Virginia, and has a terrific website, NovaFireplaceAndStove.com. And take advantage of this great deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571 571- 
513-380-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $1,000 off select in-stock gas inserts and $1,000 off select in-stock wood inserts. Join the Nova Fireplace and Stove family and experience the fireplace service and care that you deserve. Call 571-513-3803. That's 571-513-3803. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, a very good weekend for the Capitals. Two games, two regulation wins. Saturday night, a 4 nothing win over the Metropolitan Division-leading New York Rangers at Capital Win Arena as the Caps snapped a three-game losing streak with really their most complete game of this NHL regular season so far. And this game marked the Caps' first game against the Rangers since former Caps head coach Peter Laviolette became the Rangers head coach. And then Sunday night, a 4-2 win at the Chicago Blackhawks, who, yes, are not good, uh, but still second game of a back-to-back with this game being on the road, and yet the Caps got the win. Uh, the Caps in this NHL regular season now are 4-0-0 in the second games of back-to-backs and now are 14 8 and three overall. Not bad for our retooling Caps. Uh, excellent goaltending for the Caps over the weekend. The 4 nothing win over the Rangers at Capital Win Arena on Saturday night. Charlie Lindgren was the Caps starting goaltender for the sixth time in 11 games since Darcy Kemper returned from injury. And Lindgren was great. He stopped all 31 of the shots on goal that he faced for a second shutout of this regular season. Lindgren especially good in the second period during which he stopped all 15 of the shots on goal that he faced. The Caps in this game did a good job of preventing the high danger shot on goal as Lindgren per natural stat trick faced just two high danger shots on goal the entire game. And Lindgren pitched a shutout against a Rangers team that included his brother, a defenseman, Ryan Lindgren. Uh, and then the 4-2 win at the Blackhawks on Sunday night. Darcy Kemper was the Caps starting goaltender for just the sixth time in 12 games since he returned from injury. And he was good. Uh, he stopped 32 of the 34 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, this was Caps head coach Spencer Carberry during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday night on Darcy Kemper. I, I wish Kemp's, honestly, Kemp should, I, it sucks for him because it should have been a one goal game for him, right? And he in those first two periods was outstanding. And there was a couple in tight great A's. They get the slot line. Joey Anderson gets a slot line one-timer save there. There's a turnover. I don't know uh, which player. Yeah, right in tight where he makes a big save. Like I felt he made four or five massive saves, to whether it was 0-0 and just, keep, just let us get back in the fight. Let us get back into this game. And he did exactly that. And so that's a huge start for him. Yes, it is. Uh, Darcy Kemper, per natural stat trick, stopped five of the seven high-danger shots on goal that he faced, uh, but he stopped all three of the medium-danger shots on goal that he faced and stopped all 22 of the low-danger shots on goal that he faced. The Caps, per natural stat trick, had 13 five-on-five high-danger shot attempts to the Blackhawks' five. So again, the Caps did a good job of preventing 
the high danger shot on goal. A perfect weekend for the Caps penalty kill. A combined 7 of 7, including 6 of 6 in the 4-2 win at the Blackhawks on Sunday night. The Caps won that game despite committing six minor penalties to the Blackhawks three. Uh, in terms of goal scoring for the Caps, uh, top line right wing Tom Wilson, he in the 4 nothing win over the Rangers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night, scored an unassisted even-strength goal, 535 into the second period for his fifth goal in five games as he generated a takeaway in the Caps defensive zone, skated the puck through the neutral zone and into the Caps offensive zone, and then on a two-on-one breakaway, unleashed a snapshot from the left circle to beat the Rangers goaltender Igor Shesterkin. Uh, also, Wilson was number two on the Caps and five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 57.69. The Caps with Wilson on the ice and five-on-five situations in the game had 15 shot attempts versus allowing 11 shot attempts. Uh, Second line right wing Anthony Mantha. Uh, He seems to have gotten going. He had a second period even strength goal in each game over the weekend. Fourth line center Nick Dowd. He in the 4-2 win at the Blackhawks on Sunday night scored two even strength goals and had a team high tying four shots on goal. Top line center Dylan Strom. He in the 4-2 win at the Blackhawks on Sunday night scored an even strength goal 13-50 into the second period for his team leading 11th goal this regular season. And the goal came off a massive hit by third line right wing TJ Oshie on the four check as yes, Oshie is back. Uh, he and the 4 nothing win over the Rangers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night returned from a six-game absence caused by an upper body injury that he suffered in the Camps 5 nothing loss to the Edmonton Oilers at Capital One Arena on November 24th. Uh, Oshie in this win over the Rangers served as the Caps' third-line right wing and had a game-high tying four shots on goal, a game-high tying nine total shot attempts, a game-high three takeaways, and two block shots. So instant impact here from TJ Oshie. Also back playing in that win over the Rangers was Sonny Milano. Uh, This off him having been a healthy scratch for the Caps' previous game, the 5-4 shootout loss to the Dallas Stars at Capital One Arena this past Thursday night. Milano, in this win over the Rangers, served as the Caps' third-line left wing and scored an even-strength goal 43 seconds into the first period. So the Caps, over these two wins over the weekend, got goals from a lot of different guys, but not among those guys was top-line left wing Alex Ovechkin. Now, Ovi in the 4 nothing win over the Rangers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night uh, had no points, but also had a game-high tying four shots on goal and a game-high tying nine total shot attempts. And he was number three on the Caps and five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick, 56.67. The Caps with Ovechkin on the ice and five-on-five situations in the game, 17 shot attempts versus allowing 13 shot attempts. And Ovi in the 4-2 win at the Blackhawks on Sunday night had a secondary assist, but he also had just two shots on goal, just three total shot attempts and a team-worst three giveaways. And this game marked a 10th consecutive game in which he did not score a goal. This matches the longest regular season goalless drought of his NHL career. Uh, Alex Ovechkin for this regular season has just five goals. He is on pace to score a mere 16 goals. Uh, We are not used to this. Now, Ovechkin more often than not is a factor 
in games, but he's not scoring goals. There's no disputing that. Uh, also, the Caps' power play remains a problem. 0-3 in each game over the weekend. The Caps now are a woeful 6-73 of 73 on the power play for this regular season. But still, really good weekend for the Caps. Uh, the Caps' next game, not until Thursday. Caps at the Philadelphia Flyers, Thursday night at 7. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, we all love the NFL and we all love pizza. So make Little Caesars part of your NFL game day. Little Caesars is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL. Order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, which is one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day Sunday. You can pick your favorite Little Caesars pizza. You can pick the toppings that you crave, kind of like picking players for your fantasy team, only with Little Caesars pizza you never lose. And Little Caesars offers convenient delivery as well as the in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. Little Caesars Pizza Pizza. Well, this episode of the Al Galdi podcast is from Monday, December 11th, 2023, what is the one-year anniversary of Navy announcing that Ken Niamatololo was out as Navy head football coach after 15-plus seasons. Navy, in its press release announcing Niamatololo's departure, included the following, quote, the mids have gone just 11 and 23 over the last three seasons and have had one winning season over the last five years. Navy is a combined 4-10 and ten against the other two service academies over the last seven years, end quote. Uh, well, <laughs> Navy now has a fourth consecutive losing season, one in which the midshipmen went 0-2 against the other two service academies. Navy concluded a 5-7 and seven 2023 season with a 17-11 loss to Army at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts on Saturday. The loss clinched a fourth straight losing season for Navy, uh, the Mids trailed at the half 10 nothing. trailed in the fourth quarter 17-3, but they did have a chance to tie the game on a fourth and goal at the two with less than 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter and the Mids trailing 17-9. Mids quarterback Ty Lovatai stopped for a one-yard gain on an under-center quarterback sneak, a tush-push play. Oh, what could have been for the Mids. Uh, Navy head coach 
Brian Newberry for a fifth consecutive game started Xavier Arline at quarterback, but Arline went 0-2 passing with an interception and had five carries for just six yards, and so Newberry in the second quarter benched Arline in favor of Ty Lovatai. Lovatai went 16-26 passing for 179 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. He took three sacks, including a fourth-quarter sack strip for a lost fumble that was returned for a touchdown. And he had 16 carries for 90 yards when you take out the three sacks that he took. Uh, It was fitting that the final game for Navy in a season in which the mid started four different quarterbacks featured Brian Newberry benching his starting quarterback in favor of another quarterback. Uh, The number one reason for Navy having four consecutive losing seasons is the lack of good quarterback play. Navy from 2003 through 2019 had 15 winning seasons in 17 years, and a massive reason for that was the mids having good quarterbacks. You think about Ricky Dobbs, you think about Keenan Reynolds, you think about Malcolm Perry. The mids in recent seasons have not enjoyed good quarterback play. Uh, the mids on Saturday actually outgained Army 309 259, but uh, committed two turnovers to Army's zero. Uh, here was Brian Newberry during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening. Yeah, obviously a um, a tough night. Um, your heart breaks for your your team, especially your your seniors. Um, really wanted this for them more than anything. You know, those guys have been through a lot, you know, the last four years, and and um, extremely resilient group. That I'm really proud of. Proud of the way they led. Proud of the way they stayed the course. I'm proud of the way that they you know, accepted me as their head coach and, and bought into what we were doing and, and the way that they all led, you know, in, in their own way. And, um, you know, those guys deserve to win today. And uh, unfortunately, we, we couldn't get it for them. You know, Losing is not acceptable for us and never will be, so don't take what I'm about to say the, the wrong way. But, um, you know, ultimately there's, there's, there's more important things than that, than that scoreboard out there. Um, I know some people don't like to hear that, but that's the truth. And and, um, I love these kids. I love this team. I'm I'm proud of them uh, for a lot of things that they did. And uh, a lot of it doesn't translate, you know, to our record or the scoreboard. Um, But the the journey they've been on, the the process, the uh, experiences they've had, you know, they'll remember the rest of their lives and and the relationships that have been formed, um, doing the things they do together, uh, some good things and some hard things and some tough things. Um, you guys will be best friends for the rest of their life, and, and they've got a lot to be proud of and, and keep their head up over. And um, you know, it's, it's it's life, man. You you fail and you do everything you can. And you, you get punched in the mouth. You fall down. You get back up. You, you keep moving forward. You learn from your mistakes. Um, but but these guys never quit. I, I tell you that much. And, um, and the experience they've had here is going to serve them well um, when they're done here and when they're. Uh, they're they're out leading um, young sailors and Marines, and it's going to serve them well in the future. Um, when tough times come their way, I, I know that. But I'm disappointed, um, to, to say the least. Um, but but proud of this group at, at the same time. Yeah, there are few games in sports that are as emotional as Navy versus Army. Now, something special regarding this year's Navy versus Army game was the presence of New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick. The GOAT, the greatest NFL head coach of all time, Bill Belichick, 
a major presence regarding this year's Navy versus Army game. We had a lot of Bill Belichick regarding this year's Navy versus Army game. The game was at the Pat Stadium, Gillette Stadium, and as many of you know, uh, Bill Belichick has close ties to Navy. Uh, His dad, Steve Belichick, served in the Navy and then worked for the Naval Academy. Uh, Steve Belichick, from 1956 to 1989, served as an assistant football coach for Navy and served as an associate professor in the Department of Physical Education for the Naval Academy. Uh, Steve Belichick was known for his uh, meticulous advanced scouting of upcoming opponents. And so Bill Belichick spent a good chunk of his youth in Annapolis, Maryland. He went to Annapolis High School. Uh, Bill Belichick on Saturday was on ESPN's College Game Day, which broadcasted live from Foxborough. He went on set with the show, made his pick for the game, picked Navy, of course, and he did so by putting on this old school Navy football helmet, a 1962 Navy helmet. Uh, That was great. But to me, the most interesting thing from Bill Belichick regarding Navy versus Army was how much time he spent at his day after the game press conference on Friday talking about Navy versus Army. The Patriots played this past Thursday night. Uh, they improved to 3-10 and 10 this NFL regular season with a 21-18 win at the Pittsburgh Steelers in a result that was quite good for our commander's quest for a top five pick in the 2024 NFL draft. So the Pats on Thursday night had a game that they won, but a sizable portion of Bill Belichick's day after the game press conference was spent talking about Navy versus Army. Here was some of that press conference. Hey, Bill, has it been kind of special that you were able to have a Thursday game this week to get allow you to have a the full kind of Army Navy experience with 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 that game in in uh, in your backyard. What's what's that mean to you to be able to to kind of enjoy the whole thing without without a game on Sunday? Uh, well, it's nice. I won't lie. It's it's nice. Um, it's nice that the schedule fell the way it did. Um, I would say most years it doesn't fall that way. Uh, but the fact that it did and, and coincided with uh, with the game being in Foxborough is is nice. I'll. Um, I haven't been able to to uh, you know attend a, an Army Navy game like this since I was in college. Um, you know, even the ones that I that I've seen. Um, you know, we had a game the next day, or you know, in Giant Stadium, or um, the Washington game uh, back in I think it was '09. Uh, so there've been a handful of games that I've seen, but. Um, you know, always with, you know, having to go to a meeting or, you know, something like that. So this is really a nice, um, you know, luxury for me. And uh, it's been a long time since I've had an opportunity to, to do this. I'm um, very much looking forward to it. And, and uh, you know, I think it'll be a great um, classic event for this region. Um, it's really nothing like Army-Navy. I've, I've been in a lot of big games. Um and I've seen a lot of big games, um, both collegiately and professionally. Um, that Army-Navy is special. Going back to Army-Navy, um, with respect to the tradition of the game, specifically this year, it's in your home stadium involving an academy in a place that you have spent years, two places that you've spent a lot of time. Most what of my life. <laughs> Right. 
what does that mean to you to have this full circle day tomorrow? Yeah, it's a, it's a very unique opportunity um, that, as you said, is really a, is really a full circle. And uh, I have a great appreciation for the Naval Academy, great appreciation for this game. Um, and it's it's a it's a thrill for me that you know as you said it's second place in in our stadium um, so and I look forward to the um, the people I'm going to see the 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 classic event that it is not just the game but everything that leads up to it uh, starting with you know some events today and tonight and and um, and hopefully culminating in a Navy win. All right, so that was Bill Belichick during his day after the game press conference on Friday. By the way, there was a lot more from Belichick at that presser on Navy versus Army, but I didn't want the cut that I just played for you to be like six minutes long. You know, we're so used to short, bland answers from Belichick at his press conferences, right? It's interesting to hear him talk so much about something, a something about which he clearly cares a lot. And so I had this thought, is it at all possible that Bill Belichick might at some point be Navy's head coach. Yeah. I mean, something that we have heard said about Belichick, and this is something that largely has been said in jest, but the something is that his final head coaching job will be as a high school (laughs) head football coach because he loves being a head football coach so much and doesn't need any more money or fame. So he just might make his final coaching stop something as pure as being a high school head football coach. Well, Bill Belichick clearly loves Navy. Is it at all possible, is it at all within the realm of possibility that the great Bill Belichick might at some point be Navy's head coach? We, over the last few months, have had so much talk about Belichick's coaching future. Is this his last season with the Patriots? If so, what is next? Presumably, he wants another NFL head coaching job in order to show that he can have success without Tom Brady as the QB1. Although, remember, Belichick as Cleveland Browns head coach did have an 11-win regular season. The Browns in the 1994 regular season went 11-5. and Their head coach at the time, Bill Belichick. Would the great Bill Belichick ever become Navy's head coach? Maybe next year, maybe within the next few years. If you're the Naval Academy, how do you not at least pursue that possibility? Something to think about. And here's something else to think about. Underdog Fantasy, which offers fantasy football as in both pro and college, fantasy basketball as in both pro and college, and fantasy hockey. Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports, and Underdog Fantasy has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a deposit match of up to $100 for all new customers who sign up with the promo code GALDI. My last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use that promo code GALDI. Underdog Fantasy offers daily contests and season-long fantasy. In fact, Underdog Fantasy offers season-long fantasy with a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even no lineup setting. We all know that playing fantasy sports can be really time-consuming. Well, Underdog Fantasy removes the time consumption but keeps the fun and the potential to win money and take advantage of the free money. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, 
Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $100, you get $100 for free. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code Goldie. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use that promo code Goldie. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. Well, the Wizards on Monday night are beginning a stretch of five games in eight days. Just one game for the Wizards over the weekend. Uh, the result was another blowout loss. Uh, our tanking Wizards, uh, they fell to 3-18 and in this NBA regular season with a 124-97 loss at the Brooklyn Nets on Friday night. The Wizards did not hold a lead in the first, third, or fourth quarters. Did hold a lead in the second quarter. It was a two-point lead. At 30-28, the Wizards then allowed the Nets to go on a 94-62 run for a 30-point lead late in the fourth quarter at 122-92. Now, the Wizards did remain without a good number of players. Landry Shamit did not play due to a right rib sprain. Johnny Davis did not play due to a left calf strain. Ryan Rollins did not play due to a right knee strain. Uh, but all three of those guys are reserves, and only Shamit uh, was regularly playing significant minutes. The guy who the Wizards continue to really miss is DeLon Wright. He has been out for more than a month now due to a left knee sprain that he suffered in the Wizards' 124-117 loss to the Charlotte Hornets at Capital One Arena on November 10th. Uh, now, the Wizards on Friday night did hold the Nets to just 10 of 33 on threes, but the Wizards on Friday night got destroyed in the paint. They allowed the Nets to score 76 points in the paint on 38 of 61 shooting in the paint. Also, the Wizards got out-rebounded by the Nets 55-41, including having 12 offensive rebounds to the Nets 18 and just seven second-chance points to the Nets 20. Uh, the Wizards do not have much size to begin with, and their starting center on Friday night, Daniel Gafford, was not at his best. Gafford, who was questionable for the game due to a sprained left ankle, did play, but he had a rough game. He played for just 21 minutes, 37 seconds as a starter. He went just one of five from the field, all twos and one of two on free throws. He finished with just three points and just two rebounds, both of which were offensive boards. He did have two blocks and two assists versus one turnover, but he also had a game worst time plus minus rating of minus 23. And then making matters worse on Friday night was that the Wizards offense, which actually had been pretty good lately, uh, was that good. Uh, the Wizards went a horrendous six of 33 on threes, did go 32 of 58 on twos, but also went just 15 to 21 on free throws and committed 16 turnovers. Uh, this was Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Friday night. You know, we got a little frustrated with the uh, lack of um, shot making. You know, I thought we had some good looks. Um, think, you know, six for 30, 33 is a tough night for us from three. Um, we can have some nights like that, uh, but I thought that I, I allowed them to get out and run out 
fast break points. It affected our uh, defensive disposition at times that we were, you know, consumed with offense. Um, and then the second chance points. You know, we doubled down with the handful of turnovers. You know, the 15 turnovers for 20 points. It's uh, you, you know, you're sledding uphill. Yes, you are. Uh, a lot of uphill sledding for our Wizards this season. A bright spot for the Wizards on Friday night was Bilal Koulibaly, who had his first NBA regular season double-double. Uh, Koulibaly, in 25 minutes, 27 seconds off the bench, had 11 points, 10 rebounds, including four offensive boards and two assists versus two turnovers. He went what a two on threes and three of four on twos. Did go just two of four on free throws and did have a plus-minus rating of minus 22. But still, Bilal Koulibaly, Bali and this not only his rookie season but his age 19 season continues to look good uh next up for the Wizards at the Philadelphia 76ers Monday night at 7. We move now to college basketball. Two of the biggest rivalries in Washington, D.C. sports in the 1980s were the Redskins versus the Dallas Cowboys and Georgetown versus Syracuse. Uh, Skins Cowboys was number one. And you could argue that, say, the Skins versus the New York Giants was number two. But you certainly could say that Georgetown Syracuse was number two. Georgetown Syracuse in college basketball in the 1980s was so big. Uh, It is sad what has happened to both the Washington-Dallas rivalry and the Georgetown-Syracuse rivalry, but it is nice that Georgetown and Syracuse do still play each other, uh, even with the Hoyas in the Big East and Syracuse now in the ACC. We on Saturday got this year's installment of Georgetown-Syracuse and the result, unfortunately, was a Hoyas loss. Uh, Georgetown fell to 5-4 and four overall this season with an 80-68 loss to Syracuse at Capital One Arena on Saturday in a game with an 11.30 a.m. start time. Now, the official attendance for this game was impressive, 14,193. That is a very high official attendance for a Hoyas home game these days, but uh, many of the fans were Syracuse fans. Uh, the Hoyas early in the second half did hold a one-point lead, 36-35, but they then allowed Syracuse to go on a 45-28 run for a 16-point lead at 80-64 in the final minute of the second half. This was Hoyas head coach Ed Cooley during his post-game press conference on Saturday afternoon. They were very excited to play Georgetown, which they should. Everybody in the country should be excited to play Georgetown. And them having continuity and carryover with their team, with their staff, and us having a new staff, uh, new players and three players on our roster that played in this game last year. I, I didn't feel as edgy until the end. I feel the edgy. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to this goddamn game next year. How about that from Ed Cooley, who during his postgame press conference did say, quote, as long as I'm the head coach here, I want to play Syracuse every year end quote. It was good to hear that. Uh, the Hoyas on Saturday had major problems with Syracuse's two six four starting sophomore guards. Judah Mintz and Notre Dame transfer J.J. Starling, they combined for 46 of the Cuse's 80 points. Uh, Judah Mintz is a local. He's a guy who should be playing for Georgetown, not Syracuse. So Mintz is from Fort Washington, Maryland. He went to Gonzaga College High School in Washington, D.C., and then to Oak Hill Academy in Mouth 
of Wilson, Virginia. Uh, Mints on Saturday, 33 minutes as a starter, 0 at 2 on threes, but 6 at 10 on twos, and 13 of 15 on free throws. He finished with 25 points, five steals, three rebounds, and three assists versus four turnovers. Uh, the Hoyas, three point shooting and free throw shooting, really bad in this game. The Hoyas went just five of 26 on threes and just 13 to 20 on free throws. Did go 20 of 33 on twos, but rough game for the Hoyas' best player, 6 2 Illinois transfer Jaden Epps. He, in 37 minutes as a starter, went just one of nine on threes and just four of seven on free throws and committed five turnovers. He did go five of eight on twos and did finish with 17 points and six assists. The biggest bright spot for the Hoyas was 6'9 Fairfield transfer Supreme Cook. He, in 30 minutes as a starter, went 8 of 10 from the field, all twos, finished with 16 points and 10 rebounds, including five offensive boards, although he did go 0-3 on free throws and did have no assists versus two turnovers. Uh, next up for Georgetown, home to Coppin State Tuesday night at 8.30. Number 18, James Madison continues to roll. The Dukes, uh, they improved to 9-0 and overall this season with an 84-69 win at Old Dominion on Saturday night. Uh, best start to a season in JMU men's basketball history. The previous best start had been 8-0. Uh, the Dukes held ODU to just 4-22 on threes and just 22-50 on twos. Uh, great game for 6-9 Boston College transfer TJ Bickerstaff, the grandson of former Bullet slash Wizards head coach Bernie Bickerstaff. Uh, TJ Bickerstaff in just 22 minutes as a starter had 21 points and 12 rebounds, including three offensive boards. Talk about efficiency, 21-12 and 12 in just 22 minutes of playing time. He went 9-12 from the field, all twos, and 3-4 on free throws. You know, it's interesting with JMU, it is 9-0 and and number 18 in the latest Associated Press Top 25 poll, and yet as of games through Saturday, was just the 69th best team in Division One for the overall rating on KenPalm.com. Uh, the Pomeroy College basketball ratings do not love the Dukes. Uh, but next up for James Madison at Hampton this Saturday afternoon at 2. And also on Saturday was a win for Virginia Tech. The Hokies improved to 7-3 and three overall this season with a 71-50 route of Valparaiso at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. Tech held Valpo to just 3-24 on threes and out-rebounded Valpo 41-22. The Hokies went 10-27 on threes and 13-26 on twos. 6-3 Hunter Couture. He in 34 minutes as a starter. 3-6 on on threes, two or three on twos, and six of six on free throws. He finished with 19 points, three rebounds, and three assists versus two turnovers. Next up for Virginia Tech, home to Vermont this Saturday afternoon at four. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 718. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. Also, I'll talk Wizards. The Wizards are at the Philadelphia 76ers Monday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Do the Titans have a miracle left in them in what has been a magical season to this point? If they do, they need it now. Christie kicks it high and short. Going to be fielded by Lorenzo Neal at the 25. Yeah, Pitches it, to... it back to Wycheck. 
He throws it across the field to Dyson. He's got something. 30, He's 40, got something. 50, He's got it. 40, He's got 40, it. 20, 10, He's got it. End zone. Touchdown, Titans. There are no flags on the field. It's a miracle. Tennessee has pulled a miracle. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.